Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Insecurities are a sign of doubting something. The Bible tells us that we are secure in Jesus. Part of our Doubting God series is having to deal with insecurities so that we can stand on Jesus' firm foundation to conquer doubt. Enjoy the message. Well, I'm going to talk about something today that every single one of us has dealt with and we may be dealing with right now. Insecurity. Being insecure. Um, and in fact, I'm going to tell you a story right now. I don't think I've ever shared from this stage before. Uh, and so I will tell you it if you promise not to make fun of me. All right? Can, can, can you promise not to make fun of me this morning? All right? Okay. All right. So cool. All right. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you a story I've never told before. Okay? Drum roll, please. All right. So I have the uh, privilege of speaking across the country and sometimes places internationally to train churches, to, pray, to train uh, individuals in sharing the gospel. And there was one event in particular that I was really, really nervous at. It was, it was an arena uh, event in St. Louis. And I, in fact, I was so nervous because of just the size of, of the audience that I was sweating before I even got on the stage. And so as I was in the back room getting ready to go on the stage, I talked to the main stage speaker who did this literally hundreds of times a year, year, and literally he would do the same message uh, at least 50 times a year. And so I said, hey, I know you give the same message all the time. Uh, Does it get to a point where just you go up there and it's just kind of mechanical and you've done it so many times? Is there ever a time that you're not nervous? And... Uh, the, the main stage speaker looks at me wide-eyed and goes, Andy, every time I get on the stage, I am nervous. And it's not because I don't know what I'm going to say. It's because I know that what I'm going to say has eternal consequence. And immediately I started sweating even more. I'm like, you're right, right? <laughs> you know, I'm going to give you some insider knowledge. I resonate with that because every Sunday, or actually every Saturday, uh, I am wrestling with the Lord before uh, I, I finalize the, and tweak the message because I do know that when we open up the word of God, when we open up God's word, we know uh, that, that we need to handle this correctly. In fact, I need to handle this correctly. We need to understand this correctly. And so it is something that's just not lackadaisical. Uh, it's something that when we study God's word, we need to, we need to be approved. We need to be approved workmen of the, of the word. We need to know it. Uh, we need to be able to transfer it. And so I resonate with that. And so uh, there was a time I was speaking at a different location, knowing that, uh, okay, it's okay to be nervous when you're on stage. And they said, Andy, tonight we want you to lead communion for the whole place. And I thought, communion? <laughs> I do that once a month at our church at Kenosha City Church. So why not? Yes, communion. And so I immediately went onto autopilot because I'm like, I know how to do this, right? I, I don't need to wrestle with it because it's like I, I, I'm an expert at communion. So I gave a message, and the message was, you could, you could see people were leaning into it, and the message was going to land where the musicians came behind me. They started playing an instrumental. You could feel the spirit rising as the guitar got louder, and I landed, and I'm going to sing, you know what we're going to do now? We are going to have communion. We are going to commune before the Lord. And so, just like I did this morning, I held up my example cup, And I said, the bread represents the body and the cup represents the blood. I want you to pray before we take the bread together. And so everybody prayed. You can just feel the spirit in that room. And as the prayer was done, we opened up, I opened up my cup and I instructed everybody to eat the bread and everybody ate the bread. They were locked in. It was a spiritual moment. And just like we did this morning, I then began to instruct people to pray before they drank the cup. And we prayed. And then I instructed the whole place to drink of the cup. And this is where it got weird. Everybody looked at me instead of drinking the cup. They looked at me with wide eyes like, what are we to do? And I said, I'm like, I think I gave them the the right uh, instructions. I told them to drink of the cup. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. This group does communion a little bit differently. You see, what we do here is we we, we eat the bread and we drink the cup. And and they're two separate steps. But this tradition, which they wanted me to uh, lead people into, dipped bread in a cup and took it all at once. The problem is everybody's all eating their bread. And there's only one cup at the end of each row. 
What am I to do? I'm telling people to drink of the cup. And I'm, all these things begin to flood my mind. Like, how am I going to recoup what is now a disastrous communion? And, and one of the thoughts in my mind was, well, uh, I, I could have them just pass the, the cup down like a chalice. And I realized, wait a minute, after 100 lips have been on that cup, it's going to be absolutely disgusting. And I froze, and the music's still playing. It's still a spiritual moment. So I turned my back to the audience. I looked at the guitar player, and I said, what am I to do? What should I do? And the guitar player said, I don't know. I'm just playing guitar. <laughs> and then I had a really good bad idea. <laughs> I said, people holding the chalice. Yes, I called it a chalice. <laughs> I want you to hold it up high. And I want everybody in the rows to look at your chalice. And I want you to give a toast to the Lord and saying, this one's for you. <laughs> and they did it. And they stood and they sang. I went off the stage in the walk of shame. The people behind the stage curtain like, what did you do? And I'm like, I don't know. You do communion wrong, all right? <laughs> for half a decade, whenever I spoke to that organization, they'd say, hey, you going to mess up communion tonight? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not even doing communion. I know. <laughs> hey, and, oh, hey, he's the, are you the one that messed up communion? I don't even know you. Oh, yeah, but we know your story. <laughs> you know, I know it's all good fun. Even when I still hear about it today, it's all good fun. But those first few years, I was really, really insecure. I thought, why in the world would you put me on stage? I messed up communion. I said, this toast is for you, Lord. Like, how could you recover from that? <laughs> it was in Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas, isn't it? I keep Austin weird anyway. So I got insecure. I was fearful. Allison, Allison can, can, can attest to this. I even questioned, am I, should I be doing, should I be going around speaking this? How could I have done that? It was that one moment that made me insecure. And insecurity can last for a long time, can it? Where are you insecure this morning? Where are your insecurities? Because I want you to know, you might not outright doubt God, but you may be walking in doubt this morning because you're walking in your insecurities. When have you felt insecure? Maybe it was after a mistake at work and your boss just won't let it go. He's holding it over you. Maybe you're in a friend group and it didn't seem like you could say the right things or maybe, maybe you couldn't do the right things or maybe you're expected to act a certain way and then you're out. And I remember when I was in high school, I had a bunch of friends and uh, they, they, were, they were, I remember the, the first night they wanted to drink and get high. And they were pitching tents in their backyard and like, hey, are you going to come? I'm like, no, I'm not going to come. And I was so upset about it. And I, I was praying about it. And I felt like, I don't know if this is from the Lord or not. You know, sometimes the Lord's voice can get mistaken for lasagna you ate the night before. I'm still not certain about this one. But I felt led by the Lord to call one of the person's parents, all right, and say, hey, yeah, you want to know why I'm not there tonight? Why? Because your kid's getting high in your backyard, right? It was the police chief's son. Anyway, so anyway, I saw it. But, uh, <laughs> so that went over really well. Felt insecure. Maybe you're grown up and you're called all sorts of bad names by friends. Maybe you're called bad names by your parents. Maybe you could never live up to your parents' expectation. And so you're trying to live, you're trying to live, improve yourself, even though you're a grown adult. And parents, I want you to know this. Your words matter. Your words matter. We're not perfect. There's times I've said things to my, to, to my kids and I realize I, I, I messed up. So I have to sit on the foot of the bed. I have to kind of do the walk of shame, you know, into the room, sit on the foot of the bed and say, hey, I need your forgiveness, kids. Our words matter. Maybe you're insecure about rejection that you've had in previous relationships and you're carrying it in a marriage and instead of living in a marriage of trust and security, you're living in your marriage of distrust and maybe viewing your spouse through the lens of past relationships. Maybe you feel insecure about your future. You're in college now. You don't know if you're doing the, the right degree or you don't know if you're going to get the right job. Or maybe you've been in a job and you're like, is this what I went to school for? Maybe you're, you're insecure about your kids and them being raised right. You're looking at all the other parents and they seem like they have it right. Listen, here's the deal. Parents are all improvising. All right, that's the big secret. Maybe you're insecure because you don't know if you can retire. 
Maybe you're insecure this morning because you don't know if you're measuring up to God. How could God use me is maybe something you're thinking this morning. I'm not that talented or I have all these different things in my past that, 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 are, that, are, that, are, that God, he's not gonna use me or there's no way the spirit, of, the spirit of God uses that person over there. He uses them dynamically. There's no way he can use me that way. Maybe you're feeling that this morning. And when you feel insecure, the natural thing to do is to do something about it but it's not going to the right source. It's actually going to yourself. When you see, when you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, when you can't feel it, uh, when you want it differently, the natural inclination for each and every one of us is to take control, to look to ourselves for the answers. But when we look to ourselves, we will only find ourselves, and ironically, we will spiral even further into insecurity. Self breeds further insecurity so the answer is not ourselves but something much bigger more powerful and all-knowing in ourselves we're not to look to ourselves because again that breeds more insecurity so where we would find our security it's to looking to our lord god almighty looking to our lord god almighty not in insecurity but in faith you may feel insecure but we need to know that our conviction can be faith at the same time we see this in hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 now faith is the reality of what is Hoped for the proof of what is not seen. Let's read this again. Now, faith is the reality of what is, let's say it together, hoped for the proof of what is not seen. You see, this is our main idea this morning. You are not the answer to your insecurities. You are not the answer to your insecurities. It's the Lord God Almighty who is the answer to our insecurities. That might seem like a Sunday school answer, but I want to give practical reasons why and how we should approach our Lord with our insecurities this morning. Uh, the Lord God Almighty, he has the answers to everything that you worry about. He has the answers and, he, and, he, has, and he, has, he has the love and joy that he wants to give you and things that you don't understand. He created the world, the heavens and the earth just by his word. He breathed his breath into humanity. The very God who knows every moment and movement of your life. He knows the span of your days. He knows everything. And he wants your insecurity this morning. He's bigger than our brightest thought. Our insecurities are not solved by ourselves. They're solved by the Lord God Almighty. So today we're going to look at how we can replace your insecurity with standing secure in the faith in Christ. So the first truth we need to know this morning is this. If our insecurities are not, are not, uh, are not answered by ourselves, we need faith in the Lord. So faith is trusting what you can't see. Faith is trusting what you can't see. You need to know this if you're going to live in faith. It's trusting what you cannot see. So as we, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11, all right? This is we're going to be for the totality of our time today. Hebrews chapter 11, you can turn there in the Kenosha City Church app, or if you have your physical Bibles, turn there as well. The thing I love about having a physical Bible, and if you don't have one, we'll get you one, uh, is that you don't have the, you know, the push notifications or the, uh, you know, the things that distract you, right? So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, this is called the Great Faith Chapter. It highlights examples of those that were driven by faith even through hard circumstance, and we'll look at a few of those examples this morning. There's no way we can exhaust everything in chapter 11. That could literally take a month. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Verse 2. For by this, our ancestors were approved. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. So faith, uh, in the original language, in the Greek word, it's used to mean that someone has a trust or reliability on something. If you have faith, you believe that thing that you are trusting is reliable. Uh, and this word was used in the Greek so much so that it became synonymous with followers of Christ. Um, this, this word uh, was synonymous of having a confession that Jesus Christ was Savior and Lord. And so we see the author of Hebrews, he gives some further definition uh, to the character of faith. Uh, in, in the case of those who live in the Old Testament, they were looking ahead to a future coming Savior who would take away the sins of the world. Uh, sin, uh, sin was wiped away from Christ. Sin could not be wiped away from any of our good deeds. And so in hope, the Old Testament saints look towards a coming Messiah. And so we see this Hebrews uh, 11 
Verse 2, for by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. So today, followers of Christ, we look back. We look back at a crucified and risen Savior. When we took communion this morning, we look back to our crucified and risen Savior and we worship Jesus for for the salvation that he brings and offers you and I. But for the Old Testament saint, for the Old Testament believer, uh, they lived in faith looking forward to the coming Messiah. In fact, the Old Testament saint, as you read through the Old Testament, you'll notice there's temple worship, there's festivals, there's sacrifices. Uh, None of the sacrifices in the Old Testament could take away sin. It was a foreshadowing of a Messiah that would come that indeed would take away sin. So in faith, they were doing all these activities knowing that a Savior was indeed going to come. They, they were so certain of this that their, their hope uh, was not a hope that was sentimental or a hope that would happen. It was a hope that was surely it would come to pass. In fact, I love this quote from John McGarth that says, True faith is an absolute certainty, often of things that the world considers unreal and impossible. Christian hope is a belief in God against the world, not belief in the improbable against chance. If we follow God whose audible voice we never heard or believe in Christ whose face we've never seen, we do so because our faith has a reality, a substance, an assurance that's unshakable. I love that. Now, I want you to know something. You may be in this room this morning and you might, be, you might feel shaken. You might be in this room this morning and you're like, my feelings are all over the place. What does that mean about my faith? Listen, your feelings can be separate about what you have conviction of and have faith to. Does that make sense? You may have absolute conviction and absolute faith that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord and that he's coming again, but your feelings are all over the place. Notice this, you do not have to submit to every whim and every feeling. Does that make sense? Sometimes we forget that, and then we're like, what's going on in my life? Your feelings are just off. We all have off-feelings days. We all have off-feeling seasons. But despite our feelings, we must have conviction. We must have hope that is so sure that we can stand on firm foundation when everything else is crashing around us. There was a story of an early Christian who was facing death because of his faith. And uh, the judge asked the man, do you really think the likes of you will go to God and his glory. He basically what he's saying is, do you think after you're put to death, you're really gonna meet God? And I love this response. The man replied, I do not think, I know. To have faith means that your confidence, no matter the circumstances, your feelings, the people in your life, it's immovable, not because of you, but because of the object of what you've placed your faith in, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you think faith is coming from you, that's our first problem. All right, our natural selves are faithless. Our natural selves are, are, do not have a faithfulness factor to them. We need the Lord God Almighty's rescue. And when he rescues, we can stand on his firm foundation when we want to crumble. It's not about your feelings. It's about conviction. When we have faith in Christ, we are compelled then to not only stand on his firm foundation, but to live life around our faith now make no mistake you are not saved or made right with God by your works by what you do works don't make you right with God and there are some religion many all religions in the world besides Christ say that you have to work a certain way to get to God that's why people get tired of religion because there's nothing that you can do to get to that God to satisfy that God or have the assurance that you're going to be right with that God and even in some churches in Christianity this morning will preach that you have to have good works and you have, to do, you have to be good enough to get to heaven. And the great question is, how good is good enough? Nobody can answer that. Thankfully, biblical Christianity shares that you are not made in right relationship by what you do, but what Christ did. So you can know without a shadow of a doubt, however you're feeling or whatever's gone on in your life, that you can stand on the firm foundation of Christ. You can know that you have a relationship with him. Isn't that exciting, actually? Isn't it exciting that we don't have to get tired out and burnt out by works-based religion? Isn't it exciting that we have a, a Savior that wants to reach down and pull us out of our insecurities to stand on his firm foundation? Isn't it exciting that we don't have to try to prove ourselves and try to show, well, I'm, I'm, I have a firm foundation too. No, 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 no. He is the firm foundation. I think that's exciting, don't you? We're not perfect, but our faith in Christ will compel us to grow. 
and be more like him. So don't mishear me. Yes, Christ does all the work. He went to the cross. He, he rose from the dead. We have to receive that free gift and we're made right with him. But that doesn't mean that we're like, okay, sweet. Thanks, Jesus, for the get out of hell free card, right? Not at all. You see, if we have faith in Christ, uh, it's going to compel us to live for Christ. And when we're stuck and not growing, you can be sure your faith is divided and being placed, at least in part, somewhere else. If you're not growing, you can be assured that your faith is divided and being placed, at least in part, somewhere else. Where are you feeling insecure this morning? And where you're feeling insecure, how are you trying to make yourself feel secure? So, again, where is your faith feeling divided? Let's just ask that. Where is your faith feeling divided this morning? Be honest. Because therein lies, wherever your answer is, therein lies your insecurity. Where is your faith feeling divided? Where are you insecure? When someone says they're insecure, they're often at the core fearful of that thing. Insecurity really is a manifestation of fear, a fear of failing, uh, it, it, and the fear, a fear of if I don't do this certain thing or accomplish this certain thing, then my whole identity is wrecked. For instance, if you're insecure and, and your identity is found in, in your job and you don't get the advancement or you're fired, uh, it could be in those moments you feel like your whole identity is, is, is wrecked. Uh, if your identity is, is found uh, in people or relationships, your worth will be dependent upon how you perceive people think of you. And you'll go to great lengths to be accepted. You'll be, go to great lengths to be in that relationship. You will bust conviction so that you don't feel insecure in that moment. When we're driven by insecurities rather than faith, we will take things into our own hands and it often manifests itself in very negative ways and negative spiritual outcomes occur. So let's talk about what happens when you're living in a life that is filled with insecurity. How do we compensate for that? Uh, again, I'm just gonna give you a few examples, few major examples that I have seen and that many people have seen um, through insecurity and that maybe we've even felt in our own lives. So how do we compensate for insecurity when we decide to take things into our own hands? Number one is we usually see a critical spirit, a critical spirit. If you are insecure, then you'll try to tear other people down to make yourself look better. An insecure person with a critical spirit typically has a negative presupposition towards people. Uh, if you're an insecure person, uh, an insecure person, if they're, if they're miserable, uh, they won't want anybody else to be happy because it, 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 if everybody's happy around them, it casts a, a light on how miserable or how, uh, how, how they're not doing well. A person with a critical spirit will make their lives look maybe amazing online when the wreckage of reality will be hidden off camera. They often tend to be a person that have, has a glass half full. Uh, they can tell you what's wrong about other people very quickly. And they often mask this by saying they have the biblical gift of discernment. Which, by the way, judging people is not a biblical gift. It's sin. Masquerading in righteousness. When we have a critical spirit, it is a self-solution. Now, a critical spirit is different than when people have complaints. I'm not saying you should never complain about everything. There's just a rightful way to do it. If you have a complaint, it's not against a person. It could be against a thing. Let's give a funny example here. Let's say um, you're out in the lobby and you want a donut, all right? Don't you love our donuts here, right? Paelli's donuts, isn't it great? Yes. But anyway, you get there and you just, you've been thinking about it. You, you've been in this situation before, maybe not here, but somewhere else. You're just thinking of that particular donut or particular thing you want to eat. And you get there and it's gone. It was, you, you could almost taste it and it's gone. You are disappointed. And, and, and this happens week after week after week after week. And finally, like, you know what? I got to say something. And so you say to the person behind the counter, hey, is there any chance uh, you could get a donut, uh, extra donuts here? Because, because I come each week and, and, and they're gone. And I would just, can, can you do that? And the other person's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Well, you know, we'll make sure we can get that to happen. Great. That's a complaint. Complaints aren't a bad thing, right, uh, if it's constructive. But here's what happens if you're a critical person. You've been thinking of that donut. You've been wanting that donut. You get to the church. The donuts are gone. It's happened three weeks in a row. And you're convinced the person behind the counter hates me. <laughs> I noticed the Cyclops are gone. Yeah, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, you're not sorry. You don't like me. This is a conspiracy. I want my Cyclops donut, and you hand them out on purpose, right? 
Sounds crazy, doesn't it? But that's the difference between a critical, a critical person and someone with a complaint. A critical person will go right after the person instead of the thing that they're looking for. Today, friendships, marriages, and even church life is affected because for one person or another, an insecure person projects their insecurities towards others through a critical spirit. How marriages can be, can be rectified today, how friendships can be mended, if we only just turned it just a little bit to where it was no longer critical against the person and we brought constructive complaints to one another. But a critical person often manifests itself towards other people because they realize they're insecure. And they realize if I bring somebody down below my level or if I, if I, uh, if I can kind of cover up my insecurities by what all else is going on in this world or in this situation, then I'll feel better about myself. But in reality, it just brings further destruction. The Bible is very clear about this. It says in 1 Peter 2, verse 1, Therefore, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. What I want to say to you today, if you're somebody who is a naturally negative person, or today you know you're insecure and negativity wells up to cover up that insecurity, you are not going to grow up in your salvation. You're going to be stunted uh, in your growth. And so the remedy to this is what we find in Philippians chapter 4. It says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. I mean, how different if you change your mindset in this world, even though it's hard, even though you might be feeling feelings of insecurity, if you look at this world a bit differently, if you look at this world trying to find what's excellent and praising what is excellent, I'm gonna tell you, your life is gonna be transformed in not just meaningful ways, but in ways that you even see your spouse, your friends, and yes, the Lord God Almighty. We are commanded to find the best, not look for the worst, it's why we have a core value here at Kenosha City Church. We choose to see the best in each other. We are all broken people, aren't we? Uh, we are all in the need of a savior. And it is so important for us not to see, not to say the obvious that we're broken, but to look and say, what is God redeeming? What is God doing? How could I encourage one another? Listen, if you want to live in your insecurities, you're not going to encourage people through your insecurities. You're going to pull them down. And it comes out in a critical spirit. You're not the answer to your insecurities. Another way when you're insecure, that it manifests, is a fear of the future. Uh, listen, I, I want you to say just straight up, it is not wrong or you're not insecure if you plan for your future, all right? You buy insurance, that's not bad, right? Uh, you, 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 uh, you create a budget, you have a contingency plan for a natural disaster. Those are not bad things, okay? You, you should do those things. In fact, Allison's cousin just lives south of Tampa. You know what happened in uh, just south of Tampa uh, this last week, right? And uh, she's a pilot, so she wasn't even at home uh, for when the hurricane hit just south of Tampa. But I remember seeing her Instagram all smiling like, I'm ready for the hurricane. And she closed these metal shutters, just like on a sliding rail, closed metal shutters down across her doors and her windows. She was set, she was ready, and I think she came out pretty good. All right? Like, that's not somebody who should be like, oh, you shouldn't live in fear. Faith over fear. Why are you buying those things? The hurricane will just go around your house. Uh, that's, that's probably bad advice. She should buy those metal shutters. Those are awesome. But here's, where, here's the problem, is when we let fear, uh, a fear that should allow us to plan accordingly, right? God has given us fear so we don't touch the hot burner, so we don't jump in a fire, we don't jump in front of a car. You should fear those things. That's not bad. But a misplaced fear is one where it paralyzes you. And so if you're here in Wisconsin and you're buying hurricane shutters and you're shuttering your windows last week because you're afraid of the Florida hurricane, I'm going to tell you, you probably need to quit watching TV and you don't need to buy the shutters, all right? You're, you're overdoing it. Some of you are worrying this morning. You're filled with fear of your future because you've experienced hardship maybe growing up. Maybe you've experienced hardship right now in life. Maybe it's been financial. Maybe you've lost loved ones. And these thoughts are driving your future in fear. And it holds you back from living in faith and obeying the word of God. You're reading God's word and you're like, I know that's for everybody else, but I can't do this. Uh, my, uh, you don't know what I came from. You don't know what I'm going through. And God's like, yes, I do. Step on the firm foundation of faith. But oftentimes we default to the fear. And we're driven by them. 
Maybe you've never given to the things of God financially because you're afraid of, of well, what if something happens? Or maybe you've never flown a plane and you're never even thinking to go on a mission trip because like, what if the plane crashes? By the way, air travel is safer than car travel, right? But a fear of the future is a lack of trust of God for his provision and his protection. We often think we need to worry because somehow it, it, it makes us more responsible. Uh, it, it makes us feel like we're more in control, but it doesn't make you more responsible. It just, it just makes you a basket case, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't make you more control. It actually makes you more out of control. And Jesus speaks of this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. He says, consider the birds of the sky. Right? Birds are doing their thing right now. They're getting ready to fly south. Right? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I, I, I've, been in hard, I've been in hard points in my life, and I know you have. And have you ever just looked at wildlife and like, man, it must be nice. Right? They just kind of forage around. They eat. They, they, they just sit down all day long. They kind of look around. They're in nature. That, that, I mean, yeah, I know there's predators, but, you know, you can, you can you know, just make sure you're looking around for things. But that seems kind of nice. Right? And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, hey, I want you to consider the birds in the air. Yeah? Do you think you're more significant than the birds? Aren't, they worth, aren't you worth more than they? Answer supposed to be, yeah, <laughs> right? Well, can any of you add one moment of his lifespan than by worrying? No. In fact, I would actually say you could probably add lifespan to your life by praying because the, 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 the anxiety and stress won't kill you. And so Jesus is saying, I will take care of the birds in the sky. I'll provide for them. You need to understand you are made in the image of God. And when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are sons and daughters of the king. You, you receive the favor of the king. And when you go before him and, and you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone or a viper. And how much more is he going to give you the spirit of God to his children that ask? Worry is not future planning. Rather, it is future paralyzing. When you have faith in the Lord for your future, you have faith over the present circumstances and you take the long view, not the short view, because faith gives you perspective. This present is a vapor, but forever is forever that never ends. It's eternity that never ends. The future may seem uncertain, but it's not because it is because the future belongs to God and faith gives you that hope and gives that perspective but insecurity takes it away from you. Insecurity breeds a fear of the future. Another thing that insecurity does, and again, this isn't exhaustive. I just want to give three main points that I think manifest in almost all of us. The third one is people-pleasing. If you're insecure, what people think of you will be of utmost importance. And this is very problematic, especially when you experience in your life a deep season of rejection. You only either, you only either uh, went through it when you're in elementary school or middle school, high school, maybe at a job or wherever. If you're a people pleaser, then if people like you, then life is going well. If people don't like you, then it is a wreck. Oh, and social media has added to this, hasn't it? If you're a people pleaser, listen, I, I, I actually I want to say this even if you're not a people pleaser. I want you to gauge when you go on social media next time I want you to gauge how well do you feel compared to when you first went on to when you went off in your social media session, okay? Like, is your anxiety down? Uh, is your, if you're depressed, is your depression down? Or when you're done with social media for that session, is it higher? Is your anxiety higher? Maybe it's the same. I don't know. I just, just be aware, okay? But if you're a people pleaser, ooh, social media could be absolutely deadly, it can, it can be awful. Why? Because if, if for those of you that remember the days before social media, who remembers the days before social media, right? You had the modem, you had AOL, right? All you had to worry about was an email. And some of you are like, even before that, you're like, oh yeah, I, I remember before email, it was just a phone call. Some of you remember cranking up and asking Jenny to connect you in, right? And so I don't remember that. I just remember seeing that on some uh, old, old shows, but some of you remember that, all right? But the thing is, we can all remember a time when we weren't as connected, and yet we're more connected today, and yet we're even more anxious. 
Why is that? Because we're more aware, if you're a people pleaser, and we all have moments of people pleasing, when people aren't pleased with you, or that you haven't been invited to a party, or someone didn't like your post, or why is that person liking that post, or whatever. It, it takes human performance and just pours gasoline on it. The Bible says this. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. When we people please, we are looking for security that only God can give. We cede over control what only God should have over our lives. We make unappeasable people, the small g gods of our life. Don't take your insecurities into your own hands. Don't give them over and cede them over to somebody else. The Lord God Almighty wants them this morning. And have faith, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what, if you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, stand on the faith of the faithfulness of God. You're not the answer to your insecurities. Faith is trusting what you can't see. Don't put it in your own hands. Secondly, faith is not about perfection, but faithfulness. Faith is not about perfection, but faithfulness. So we looked at some of the ill effects of when you try to work out insecurity yourselves. Let's now turn to characteristics of what happens when we are living a faith-driven life. And the writer of Hebrews, he gives us examples, a number of examples, of people who didn't let their insecurities be their legacy, but rather faith be their legacy. And it would take us about a month to go through Hebrews chapter 11. I would actually like to do this in the future. But today, let's just take a little bit of a sample platter of Hebrews chapter 11 through a couple examples. So faith is not about perfection, but faithfulness. And that's what we see here in Hebrews chapter 11. So the first thing that we see here about faithfulness is that faithfulness is in worship. We see that the faithfulness exhibits itself in worship. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. Even though he is dead, he still speaks to us through his faith. So what we see here is Abel. And I want to, in our sample platter this morning, I want to speak of two people we really don't preach about a lot. I'm going to talk about Abel and Enoch, okay? So Abel is someone who uh, literally, he's one of the first children of Adam and Eve, the first humans, all right? And so people think of the Cain and Abel story like, oh, yeah, Cain killed Abel. Blah. It's actually a story of worship gone wild, all right? It, 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 is, it is literally a story of if we get our worship wrong, it could be deadly, all right? And so what we see here is Abel offered a sacrifice to God. He, he worshiped the Lord. Worship is a declaration of the worth of God. We are worshipers whether we know it or not. We worship something, and, and whatever we worship, we are declaring how good God is. God is either number one in our life, he is the Lord, he's king, or he's somewhere in the crowd, or he's somewhere way down here. And we have to determine this morning, how are we worshiping God? We often think worship is just praise, like when we sing, but it's much more than that. Worship reflects every aspect of our life. And when we worship, we go into battle against our unbelief. The writer of Hebrews states that in faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice. Now, Cain and Abel were the first, again, mentioned siblings of Adam and Eve. Uh, Cain tilled the ground and Abel was a shepherd. Now, God preferred the offering of Abel because of the offering of animals was of more worth to God. We'll see this in all of the Old Testament. Uh, the first animal was sacrificed, and this was a picture of the actual sacrifice of Christ. And so uh, Abel's uh, offering was uh, more pleasing to God. Abel gave a full measure of worship towards God. He gave his first and best, and he did it with the right attitude and faith. Whereas Cain gave a lesser sacrifice, and what's most important here, he did it in an attitude of insecurity, uh, an attitude of jealousy. And in, in so much, we're told in Genesis that Cain was filled with anger towards his brother, and he killed him. The first murder in the Bible was a result of wrong worship. <laughs> Think about that. A worship service gone so bad uh, in the book of Genesis, it ended in the first murder, anger, and rage. And this is a cautionary tale to us in our worship this morning. Uh, we often think that we can perform before God, and God wants a performance. He does not want our performance. He wants our heart. That's why he says elsewhere that if you have something against somebody, that you need to put that offering down and go to that person and make right with that person. Why? Because God does not want our sacrifice if our heart isn't there. 
And some people are like, well, great, then I won't worship. I, I'm like, no, that's not the point. The point is bring the sacrifice with the right heart. If we're filled with bitterness, wrath, and malice, we need to lay that down. We don't worship so we get something that we want to make us feel secure. And how often have we done this? We read our Bible. We go to church. We raise our hands in the air. So God, you could just pay that bill. Or God, you could just bring that spouse. Or God, you could just fix my marriage. Or God, that you could just, you could just make my kids come back. God, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put both hands up today, God, please. And listen, here's the deal. You should contend with God and do that. But there's a fine line in doing that because that's all you want. You see, if you use God to get something you want, the moment you get it, you'll leave God and you won't be faithful in worship. We worship to make King Jesus known. And in that, your faith grows and your insecurity shrinks. Worship is about not getting something that you want. Worship is not about a performance. Worship is about making King Jesus famous. It's not about our perfection, but it's about his faithfulness. So we see faithfulness in worship. Worship is a big deal to God. Secondly, it's not about perfection, it's about faithfulness. We need to be faithful in our walk. There's faithfulness in our walk. Hebrews chapter 11, verse five. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God, not without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Not much is known about Enoch. In fact, this is the only mention of Enoch in the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was not there because God took him. So again, Enoch's only mentioned a few places, but Genesis we see that he fathered the oldest person to ever live, Methuselah, all right? And then he was walking, and then he was gone. And I think that what we see here, we don't know much about him, but we see his faith is described as walking with God. Uh, this is a phrase in scripture when you walk with God. You may, I may ask you, how's your walk with God doing? Like, what are you talking about? It means, how is your way of life? Is your life being impacted because you are placing your faith in Christ? If you walk with God, it not only means the way that you're living, but it shows in how you're communing with him. Are you talking to God through prayer? Uh, are you in his word? Uh, are you being filled with his Holy Spirit and being used in his giftfulness? Having walked with the Lord means you're living a life that is pleasing to him. Verse six, it says, this is important because without faith it's impossible to please God. Again, we don't know much about Enoch, but what we do know is the clear indication that God honors faith over our insecurities and our fears. He wants us to trust him in absolutely everything and obey him even when we don't want to, even when it doesn't make sense. And this is so key for us today. There's a lot of things that are confusing and don't make sense. And so where, do you, where this morning do you find it hard to obey? Is it in your sexuality? Uh, is it in your dating relationships? Is it in your anger or your thoughts or your possessions or your grudges? You can't say you're taking a walk with God when you are trying to fill the void of insecurities with weapons of the enemy. When we have faith, we're told in Scripture that God reward those who seek him. But you must draw near to him where you've decided to give God distance. Enoch was a man of faith, and it showed in his walk. And notice, God rewarded Enoch by being one of the few people that he took and raptured him up to heaven. He did not experience physical death. He was here one day, and then before God the next day. And, you know, no matter if you die or God takes you, he's going to take the church before he comes back. No matter what, we will still all face God. And the question I have for you today is this. Are you walking well with the Lord? Is your life living in faith? Are you living in faith knowing we will face God? So instead of walking in our insecurities, instead of letting uh, a critical spirit or having a fear of our future or trying to be people pleasers, we need to be people of worship and we need people that are walking and communing with God. When you're walking and communing with God, you will never feel alone. The writer of Hebrews, he goes on to mention other heavyweight champions, which we don't have time today, but he ends the chapter with this. In verse 39, all those were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised yet, since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. I love this. 
is that as he goes through this list of people, they are broken people. There are sordid details of all these people, yet they were approved by their faith. You are not the answer to your insecurities. Faith is trusting what you cannot see. Faith is not about perfection, but faithfulness in pursuing God. And number three is faith grows the unlikely. We may be going through all these things this morning, and you may be feeling, I, I just, Andy, you don't understand, like, there are things in my life, uh, I, there's people that God could use that would, that would make more sense if, if, if they use that person, and what I want you to know is God wants to use you today. God wants you to connect and worship in him today. God grows the unlikely. When you place your faith and trust in Christ, his grace, his favor is placed on you. And it's not by the works that you receive this gift of God. Uh, No, it is a gift of God, not by our works. And he created you to exhibit his miraculous power. And I think of just all the verses I could think of, uh, one of the verses I absolutely love, I just landed on in searching all these verses, was Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, and it's this. For you're saved by grace through faith, and it's not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. I want us to look at that word, we are his worksmanship. For anybody has ever felt like you're an accident, for anybody that's ever felt unworthy, for anybody that's ever felt like there's no way you can be made in right relationship with God, I want you to know this. He created you. You are God's worksmanship. I love how the New Living Translate translates this Greek word. It's you are God's masterpiece. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? You are God's masterpiece. Satan will remind you every reason God can't use you or why you can't be made right, right with God. But God wants to counter that by making it abundantly clear what he thinks of you. You are God's masterpiece, created to do his works. The next time that you're insecure, if you're feeling insecure today, I want you to do your devotions in the bathroom, okay? I want you to go to your bathroom. I want you to lock the door. When someone's like, what's taking you so long? It's like, I'm looking in the mirror. Why are you looking in the mirror? Because I'm looking in the mirror because I need to tell myself until I believe it because it's true. I am God's worksmanship. I am God's masterpiece. Not to big yourself up like, I'm God's masterpiece. No, but to realize that God wants to use you. He wants to use you. God uses the insecure to build you up in faith. God uses the insecure, the imperfect, to show off his miracles. Listen, Moses, who's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, who we didn't get to today, Moses was a murderer. David was unfaithful. Jeremiah was depressed. Martha, she was worried. Paul, he killed Christians. And you know what? You have something that you can disqualify yourself and say, but God, well, you could use somebody else because of this. And I want you to know, you are God's masterpiece. He created animals, he created sponges, he created trees, he created all these things and he said is good. But only one thing in creation was created in the image of God. It was you. And the question is, do you know him? Or are you trying to answer all your insecurities by yourself? Listen, you are not the answer to your insecurities. Faith in Christ is the answer to your insecurities. And for those of you that don't know Christ, today I invite you to know him. For those of you that do know Christ, I invite you to trust him in the areas that you've been trying to go it alone, or the areas that you've been borrowing trouble, or the areas that you've been listening to. Give it over to God this morning again and again and again. God uses the unlikely. When they replace your insecurities with faith, you will go forward. So are you allowing God to do that this morning? Replace a critical spirit with worship. Replace fear of the future with faithfulness and walking with him every day, knowing that in hope, Christ is going to make all things new. Because when you walk with God, you have the confidence in every circumstance. And you have the confidence that he holds your future in his hands. You are not the answer to insecurities. If you try to answer them, you'll break conviction You'll do all sorts of things trying to get to what you want and you won't be happy in the long run. Take a long view. So as we land this morning, here's two things. God wants, to know, God wants you to know him. He wants, to know, he wants you to know him. For some of you, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. He wants you to receive him as savior this morning. For some of you, uh, you've been in the church world a long time and you've given your life to Christ and you don't really know him. You know things about him. Uh, you know details about him. You've prayed to him, but you don't know him like you know him like a friend. You don't, have that, you don't have that close relationship. He wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. Secondly, God wants to work through you. 
And there's a lot of people, a lot of us, including myself, we just tell God no. <laughs> no, sorry God. There's, there's, there's needs that are needed in the moment. And there are needs that, are, that, that, that God will spring on us. I'm like, eh, no, not my schedule, God. But God wants to use you. And sometimes we don't see miracles in our life because we are so busy looking at all the brokenness of life and not allowing God to run his miracles through those situations. Let me make this really practical. Our kids' ministry is exploding. Some of you are in here today that are going to be working in kids' ministry in the next two weeks. If I were to ask you in, in the flesh, you'd be like, no way. No, no, I'm not doing that. Look, I want you to ask the Lord, am I supposed to work in kids' ministry? All right? Am I supposed to do that? It's growing. And uh, that's, I don't even have that in my notes. I just feel like this morning, that's what we need to, I need to say. Because I believe that God's raising up some people that are going to be teaching the next generation now. All right? So start asking God. Like, if you're like, no, that's not me. No, no, no. no. Ask God. I'm already in the kids' ministry. Ask God again. I don't know. So, <laughs> maybe you thought you were going to do it for a year, but now you're a lifer, right? Let's go before the Lord. God, thank you that we're not the answer to our insecurities. God, I want to pray for anybody in this, in this room now that has never placed their faith and trust in you alone. God, I pray right now that they would get right with you just as we continue to pray, every head's bowed and eyes closed. I just want to talk to anybody in this room right now where you're uncertain where you're at with Jesus. Maybe you know you've never placed your faith and trust in him alone. Maybe you're uncertain of it. And again, if you were to pass, I'm going to do a funeral this week. And the person that I'm going to do the funeral for, his name is Mel. He knew Jesus. He knew where he was going when he passed from life into death back into life the question is do you know where you're going are you sure of it if you're uncertain of it make certain of it right now and this is how you can make certain of it right now acknowledge you need Jesus as your savior acknowledge that you've sinned you've done wrong just say Lord Jesus I've sinned I've done wrong and I need you there's no religion or works that can save you. For it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not by works. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. All those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. We just cry out to him right now. Just, just whisper to him, just tell him, Lord Jesus, save me. I place my faith and trust in you alone. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. I, I'm asking you to step into my life and forgive me of my sins. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, will you just let me know if that's you today? If you are making right with Jesus right now, you're, you're, you're placing your faith and trust in him alone, will you just slip up your hand real quick, real quick, and just say, yeah, that's me. Thank you. That's me. I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus. Anybody else? Just raise up that hand and say, that's me. Again, this, raising your hand doesn't save you. I'm just, I'm gonna pray for you this week, all right? I believe God's doing some cool things in this room. Thank you. Lord Jesus, I now pray for everybody in this room that we would know you. That we would spend time with you. That we allow your Holy Spirit to fill us and, and be that bridge of our insecurities to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would not live in our insecurities, but we put ourselves out there. We'd be used by you. So Lord Jesus, do what only you can do now. We commit our insecurities to you. We all have them. God, give us the conviction to stand now on the firmness of the foundation of faith in you instead of ourselves. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.